We're going to be in John chapter 15 this morning, so I invite you to open up there. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you, uh, Lord, that your mercies are new every day, Lord. I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity that we can hear your word, Lord, and that it can change us. So, Lord, so I pray this morning, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand, Lord. I pray your anointing on Jackie this morning, that you would fill his mouth with your words, Lord, that you would have us hear. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Anybody enjoying the snow? Oh, there's no's and yeses. We're divided just like the nation. (laughs) I got to tell you that my yard was looking terrible. And I basically take the winter off from yard work. I don't know about you guys. So when it snows, I rejoice. Because I know it still looks just as terrible underneath all that snow, but at least for a couple of days, it's going to be, that looks all right. It's not so bad. Not so bad. And I rejoice in, um, I don't know, there's something uh, broken in old desert rats that when snow falls, it is, just feels cleansing. So I enjoy the snowfall. I don't enjoy shoveling. I don't enjoy uh, not being able to ride a Harley. I don't enjoy all those parts. But there's something about that, right, that, that kind of washes us. And this morning as we look at John chapter 15, so, so I just want you to track with me because John chapter 13 and John 14, John 15, John 16, John 17, we're all the same evening so we i just i don't want us to disassociate ourselves from the last supper where jesus presented that that he is accomplishing the hour has come this is the night the hour has come he's going to get arrested that night he's saying hey this is my body that will be broken for you this is my blood which will bring the new covenant right he's going to usher in the new covenant and then 
All the disciples, you remember, arguing about who's the greatest? And Jesus gets up and, and dons a, a towel and he goes one by one by one through all the disciples and he washes their feet. You remember? It's all the same night. And you have this thing where Jesus, Jesus lays out for him after that, hey, one of you is going to betray me. And <clears throat> the shocking thing is the other gospels tell us all the disciples are scrambled by it. They didn't all turn around and point at Judas like we would. Right? They're because these, this, are, these, this is my brothers. I've been hanging out with these guys for three years. We've gone through crazy things together. We've seen incredible things. And when you look around, you never see a betrayer in your midst. Jesus tells Judas, what you do, do quickly. And he gets up and he leaves. The Bible says all the disciples just thought he had business to take care of. Then we have Peter's, uh, um, you know, the Lord saying, all of you are going to scatter and leave me alone. And Peter may look around and he sees all those other guys. He says, all these other yahoos will do that for sure. Lord, I get what you're saying, but I'd never do it. I'm ready to die. And Jesus says, before the cock crows in the morning, you're going to deny you know me three times. Then Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, what do you think their hearts are? Pretty troubled, right? Like, this is so far, this whole Last Supper, they don't know it's the Last Supper. They, they just think it's another dinner. There's been a lot of people in this last year that didn't know it was a last supper. Didn't know that things were going to radically change or transform in a matter of hours, right? Didn't know. Just like the disciples, they, they don't know. They don't understand what's happening and all these things Jesus is saying. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going. He's not going to heaven to build you a house. He is going to make a way for you to come into the Father. He's going to say, you know the way. And Philip's going to say, what way? What are you talking about? He says, I am the, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except, yeah, the cross is the way that he's preparing. Ah. There's a place for you in my father's house, and I'm going to make the way. And as he works through all these conversations, and we've been taking little bite-sized pieces, right? I just don't want us to lose the, the total view. He looks over and he says to his disciples, come on, let's get going. So they've been in the upper room all this time. From chapter 15, we start the walk from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we know what happens there, right? So now we're, we're walking. We're moving in this direction. And John chapter 15 is what is called a mashal. A mashal is a Hebrew writing similar to a parable. But unlike a parable, most parables have one primary point. We're, we're making one primary point. A mashal is a is a extended metaphor. So there's 
there's multiple points that are being made in this. There's only two of them in the Bible that we know of. One, John 15, when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The other one is John 10, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And so, as we look at this, this we're just going to look at these first 11 verses. This chapter kind of divides into three parts, and we'll look at that later on, but... But I just want us to see, Jesus begins this, as he says, come on, let's go. All the minds of the disciples are scrambled. Peter, his brain's melting. He's like, how in the world could I possibly deny the Lord three times before the sun comes up? Judas is gone. Everybody's a little scrambled. And so they're walking across the Kidron Valley, headed to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus, as they walk, they, they probably have passed the temple. Josephus says that up on some of the ornate parts of the temple, there was a vine. You would see a, a vine because, well, Scripture tells us. We're going to take a look at it in, I, in Isaiah 5. Scripture tells us that Israel is the vine. And so this symbol is all over Israel in their art. But Jesus is going to say, as they pass by that vine, he is going to say, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. He's going to establish what he means by that. Now, what we understand when we look at this, every time, we're going to, we're going to read just a couple quickly, but every time God uses the metaphor of the vine for Israel, Israel's in trouble. Israel's in trouble. They're, they are God's vine. He's been taking care of them, but they're not producing fruit. They're fruitless. And so usually what is being spoken of is God saying, hey, you're, you're being fruitless. In fact, we'll look at one, Isaiah 5. In Isaiah 5, beginning at verse 1, <clears throat> the prophet writes this, Let me sing... For my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and he cleared it of stones. He planted it with the choice vines. He built a watchtower in the middle of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yield wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I had not done? When I looked to it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled down. I will make it a waste, and it shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns will grow, and I also will command the clouds that they do not rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Part of a biblical understanding, the biblical worldview that we get from Genesis to Revelation is this idea that Man is, since Genesis chapter 3, tried to be his own savior. Genesis chapter 3, if you don't remember, Genesis chapter 3 is where 
Adam and Eve declared their independence from God. God said, I want you to come to me to understand good and evil. And Adam and Eve declared their independence, right? They went to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? They said, we declare our independence from you, God. And so there's a, there's a break. The fall of man occurs. We have Genesis 1 through 11 that kind of lays all of those things out. We don't have time to delve too deeply into that. But as a result, the very first thing that God institutes as, as man goes now outside of the garden, the very first thing that God institutes is the family. It is the center of all government for ancient Israel. When you go into the Old Testament, you will not find Jerusalem police force. Because there was no police force. Because the nation was governed by the family. They had a king and they had families. <laughs> and that's how it worked. And the, the, the enemy's battle against God's people from the beginning has been to disrupt and destroy families. If you pay attention on every single show, I don't care if it's a cartoon, a commercial, uh, whatever, I don't hardly watch TV anymore, it makes me so crazy. Everything you see is to destroy the family. Probably one of the greatest moves of family destruction is Black Lives Matter, which originally had a much different code. And as they move forward and utilize the circumstances around us, because every one of us would agree that you deserve, uh, your life matters regardless of your color. And so to put someone down because of their color is a horrific act of racism, right? And so everybody gets behind it. And doesn't understand that the message behind it is the destruction of the family. The nuclear family, over. Fathers, mothers, done. Uh, um, comedians calling for the destruction of the family, over. And over. And over again, today. As we look at Daniel, Daniel gives us a prophetic vision of man's ability now and his independence to rule, and he has a dream. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Daniel interprets a dream, right? It's a statue talking about all these different kingdoms, right? Babylon, Medo-Persia, uh, Greek, Rome. And so he's going to see these dreams. Now, what happens to every one of these kingdoms? Daniel gives the prophetic uh, understanding, the dream and the prophecy, and he says, uh, you, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold, but you're not going to last, There'll be a chest of silver, Medo-Persia. They're not going to last. There'll be a waste of, of bronze, but they're not going to last. There's legs of iron, but they're not going to last. There's feet of iron mixed with clay. And then Daniel says, one day there will be a rock that comes out of the heavens. And it strikes the statue in its feet. And the, the statue is going to be blown into powder. And that stone that hit the statue is going to grow into a mountain that fills the whole earth. And the Bible says that mountain that fills the whole earth is the kingdom of God. What is the point? 
every kingdom of man fails. Every kingdom of man has its born on date and its end date. Every kingdom of man struggles because every kingdom has this one thing in common. They struggle for independence from God. But there will be a day when the kingdom of God rules and reigns. The book of Revelation tells us there will be an angel one day will set his feet on the earth and drive a banner into the ground and say all the kingdoms of this earth have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. These days are coming. But we have this, this time now where we are all uh, uh, struggling in our independence. So did Israel. They were supposed to be the vine. They were supposed to be fruitful. They were supposed to be God's light to the nations. Now through them is going to come Messiah. So that is guaranteed. That's going to happen. But they fail. They fail. And so Jesus standing at the temple looking up, he says, I'm the true vine. Because if you want to really be fruitful, you want your family to be fruitful, you want your business to be fruitful, you want whatever things you are about to be fruitful, then they better be anchored in Christ. That's the only way. That's it. So the Jesus, as they're walking and they're passing and they're, they're all upset and they're all freaking out about life and they're all struggling with the things that Jesus has just told them. And then Jesus begins this phrase, I am the true vine. I'm the one. I, I'm, the, I'm the one that you need to be connected to. I am the true vine. My father is a vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. It's important when we come to, to lessons, teaching, that we understand the points Jesus is making. And so often what that requires is that we don't come in assuming you already know. That's the easiest way to miss something important, right? <clears throat> we come through, already have the answer before you read it. So guess what? You read the answer you already had. It's the craziest thing ever. So we slow down. Who are the players? The players that we have here and the metaphor that Jesus lays out is that he is the true vine, right? He is the source of fruitfulness. This is the point. What was the problem? Every time the vine was used of Judah or Israel, it was because of their not being fruitful. They can't be fruitful in and of themselves. The Lord says, I protect them. I, I set up all this stuff. I, I give them the best opportunity to succeed, but they can't succeed on their own, right? They won't succeed. They fail. What about the kingdoms of men? They fail. Everything that is not joined to Christ has no longevity. It's not tapped into the source. And so here he's saying, look, that the Jesus is the true vine, that the Father, he's the vine dresser, the one that takes care of the vine, and the branches are who? Branches are the disciples, right? The branches are the disciples. This is who he's talking to. So <clears throat> he says, every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
he takes away. Now, there's some important things that we need to understand here. There is, we're going to see at the end of the metaphor, something that happens with all the branches that are taken away. But before we run too far down the road of this idea, I want you to understand what the vine dresser does. He comes along the vine, the vine dresser taking care of the vine. This is a grapevine that he's talking about. And he's looking for the opportunity for every branch attached to that vine to be as fruitful as possible. And as they would go through the vine, they would find oftentimes branches that are not fruitful or not going to be fruitful. They're like sucker branches. They're attached to the vine, but there's no fruit that ever comes from them. The Father's going to take those away. But in the same sentence, he's also going to cleanse the ones that are there. He's going to wash them. He's going to be tender to them. He's going to lift them up out of the dirt. Exactly what Jesus did in John chapter 13. When he went across all the disciples and he said, he washed their feet. And he said, look, you don't need a bath, Peter. You've already been cleansed by the word of God. I'm just here to wash your feet. For what purpose? You see the activity, the illustration in the story in John chapter 15 begins to make sense. He's washing them so they can be fruitful. Peter had a problem coming into this night. He had a struggle with pride. He's going to struggle with that pretty much his whole life. And so the Lord is cleansing him. He's telling him the things he needs so that Peter will be fruitful. What is the purpose? What, is the, what does the scripture say? Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may... What? Burn in the fire? He prunes it so that it will what? Bear more fruit. So what's the goal? bringing fruitfulness. How is it that we are fruitful? We are fruitful when we are attached to the vine. In uh, John 15, that word for, for prunes, I just want you to, to uh, comprehend. The word is kathaero. It is a Greek word that means to cleanse from filth. To cleanse from, that's the word prune. To cleanse from filth, to, to wash. There was a way in which the vine dresser would, today we think of pruning like when we go out to our rose bushes, right? And we, we cut our rose bushes. There's no, I, I don't like rose bushes. I prune my rose bushes with the lawnmower. I tell Kathy, oh, I'm sorry, I, I missed. And I'm usually happy because I don't ever want to be very close to the rose bushes. But... That's not the picture. The picture is a vine dresser who's being very careful with his vine. You didn't have massive vineyards in those days. So you had a vineyard. The vineyard needed to produce to the best of its ability for you, right? In order for you to be a fruitful uh, farmer, vine dresser for the day. And so it was a lot of care. They would wash the vine. And as they washed the vine, as they came down the branches and they washed the branches, there were those branches that they would recognize, oh, in order for this branch to be fruitful, i got to break this piece off. I'm going to wash it off. Literally, as they would do the act of washing, it would come free of the branch. 
and allow the branch to be fruitful. And the scripture tells us this is what the Father does for those who are attached to the vine, his son, Jesus Christ. That he washes and he prunes so that we might bear fruit. The pruning is not for our destruction. The pruning is not for us to be cast aside. The pruning is that we might bear fruit. He says in verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So this ties us back to John 13. The illustration of Jesus washing their feet, the illustration of the discussions that they had as a result of that, the denial for Peter, all of this is God doing exactly what he's saying in this, in this mashal, in this thing that he's laying out from this story, this illustration that he provides. All of this is, is happening even as Jesus begins to talk about it. Even as he begins to lay it out, he wants them to understand that, that the desire for them to bear fruit is something that God wants to accomplish in their life. And so as they are attached to the vine, God is going to do this. He says in verse 4, so abide in me and I in you. Just like a branch and the vine. The vine will live without the branch. Yes? The branch is not going to live without the vine. The branch won't live without the vine. The, The Lord says abide in me. I used to love, Pastor Chuck used to say, People would ask Pastor Chuck, try to get him into arguments about <clears throat> the security of the believer. Uh, how does apostasy work? Where are the lines in life? And Pastor Chuck was a simple man. He would just say, look, it's simple. Abide in Christ and he abides in you. Don't, don't have to be complicated. We, we have a tendency to want to complicate it, but that's not required. Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. You, really, you're not a branch if you're not attached to the, to, the, to the vine. He's saying, man, abide in me. Bear fruit. Be fruitful. The only way you can do that is if you are abiding in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do, how many things can we do apart from Christ? Can we bear fruit on our own? Can I bear, will my business be fruitful? I separate it from Christ. I just say, you know what, uh, this, is, this is my life is divided into two parts. Secular and sacred. Can we live our lives that way? No, there ain't no such division. There's no such thing. There's no, I'm a Christian on Sunday, and then I'm whoever I want to be, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then I'm going to put on my Christian clothes again on Sunday. That don't work. We want to be fruitful, then we are attached to the vine in everything we do. In everything we do, we want to honor the Lord in that thing. We want to honor the Lord in that part of our life. We want to be connected to the vine. And the reality is that as someone comes to the Lord, 
They are the branch and he is the vine. You will be connected. We want, to, we want to understand what it is that God is doing for us because apart from him, there's nothing I can do. It's got to be in him. It's in him, attached to him, connected to him. <clears throat> there's no way for anyone to accomplish anything apart from Christ. Oh, now, well, come on, we will give our awards to people, right? We've been doing it for whatever, 10,000 years of recorded history. For 10,000 years of recorded history, there has been something like the Academy Awards for everyone, right? There would be communities who would vote for the best farmer. There would be people who voted for the prettiest girl in town. There will be people who uh, voted for the most eligible bachelor. People have always done this. And so we distort our sense of value, and now our sense of value comes from man separated from God, giving us accolades, and we think somehow that equals fruitfulness. Well, they had that in Judah too, and Israel, and God said, you're, you're bearing only wild grapes. I don't want wild grapes. Wild grapes were fit for the animals. So he said, I'm going to take down the heads, and I'm going to let you be eaten. Because it was not bearing fruit in God. We, we have a tendency to want to find our source of who we are and what we're all about in something else. Man has been doing it forever, and even, even more so now, literally every time you turn on the news. What does it mean to get a Nobel Peace Prize? Who cares? You know the prize you want? The prize that is most valued is to look in Jesus' eyes and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the prize you want. And that's not going to be a popularity prize that everybody votes for you about. That's going to be a prize as the Lord Jesus Christ looks into your heart, into your soul, into your life, and he is saying to you, you were a good steward of the things I gave you. You utilized your time well. You, you, you were fruitful as you were attached to the vine. You received correction from the Father and you had a fruitful life. Well done. Well done. All the other things that we chase, they start to get dimmer and dimmer, don't they? I remember I, I coached football for I don't know how long, too long, 13 years, 17 years, I don't know. And when I first started coaching football, there was one goal. We were going to win a state championship, and, and we were going to get a ring, and we labored and labored, and I made compromise after compromise, and we pushed, and we clawed, and we fought, and we finally, like year eight, won the Big state championship. And I ordered a real ring. My, if you ever see my ring laying on the floor somewhere, that's really gold. <laughs> Has b b paid for all the fancy stuff to be on it. Because, man, this is it. Right? This is, gonna, this is what I've been working for for 13 years. I wore that ring 
for maybe a month. I don't know where it is now. My wife might. I leave it places all the time. It's not as shiny as it was to me. Then, you know, I've been in Idaho now for 11, 12 years. And uh, when I used to have Facebook, which, by the way, I don't miss at all. But when I used to have Facebook, some of the kids who played football for me, they're, they're still on there. And it breaks my heart every time I see a post. Because they would celebrate this, this incredible pinnacle of their life. Remember when we got the ring? Ah. And they detest God. I trade that ring a hundred times to get to do all that again. But you don't get to do it again, do you? We get one pass. So learn from the older, wiser men, the older and wiser women who have come through some of those things and say, you know what? It's okay to have goals. Just make sure they're attached to Christ. Not separated from him. That our focus is totally to be fruitful in Christ. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, in this illustration, he's just talking about what happens. If you go to the vineyard and you have old, crusty, dead branches, what do you do? You throw them in a pile. What are they good for? Nothing. You take them from the pile. They're not even really good for a fire because they burn so fast. And you burn them all, just like I do in every farm everywhere in Idaho today. The biggest trip I ever had was when I first got here from California and people were burning stuff in their yards everywhere. It's like, what in the world? These people are so crazy. It's the greatest joy of my life to burn my garbage in my yard. <laughs> it's gone. It's like when the snow melts and it gets a little warmer, there's going to be a fire at the Roberts house. And the yard will once again be beautiful. So what is he telling us? He's giving us the illustration. I, I, I don't think he's pushing the, the point of hell burning because his focus is on the disciples. And all those disciples, they're his guys, right? They're attached to his vine. He's telling them, you're going to be fruitful. Stay attached to the vine. The Father is going to clean you, and he's going to help you bear more fruit. Trust in the process of being connected to Christ. Your fruitfulness is going to come from there. Anybody who's not connected to Christ, therefore not a believer, they're just not really worth anything. They can't be fruitful. They are like the garbage in the farm. Doesn't have a purpose anymore. The boneyard doesn't have a purpose anymore. Why? It's not attached to the vine. Now, you want to really melt your mind. Here's a beautiful thing. In Romans chapter 11, the Lord talks about the, this, or Paul talks about this beautiful thing that occurred when God took the Gentiles and he grafted them in. He's going to use the example of the olive tree. He's going to say he broke off branches of the olive tree and he grafted in wild olive tree branches to the tree and they're bearing fruit because they're in Christ Jesus. 
And he talks about a future day when God's going to take the, the, those who were part of the natural olive tree, Israel, and he's going to graft them in. What joy will occur? God's able to do anything. You and I, we're not. We have to be where? Attached to the vine. We've got to be in Christ Jesus. So he wants them to understand, your fruitfulness depends on your connection to me, being connected to Christ, staying connected to Christ, staying in that place where I trust God is moving and working in my life. I hear people ask me the question all the time, what is God doing in my life? I can tell you, but everybody doesn't like to hear it. God is cleansing and pruning you so that you will bear fruit. Why am I sick? Why did I lose my job? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? God is pruning you so that you will bear fruit. Trust him. Stop trusting the job. Stop trusting whatever the thing is that you thought you were so connected to that was going to bring fruitfulness in your life. And trust that it's Christ. <clears throat> I can't tell you how many times I've seen people hurting as a result of the things they're going through in their life. But isn't that what the writer of Hebrews tells us about the chastening of the Lord? This idea of pruning or washing or cleansing that we might bear fruit is similar to the idea of being, being chastened by your father, right? Your, your father's going to provide correction so that fruitfulness can come. Because if you're not attached to the vine, there is no fruit. There is nothing that's going to come from that place. We, we need to be attached to the vine to bear fruit. So when it happens, and it will, the guy you were voting for doesn't get elected. What's God doing? He's cleansing you that you might bear fruit. What about all this thing that happened in my life or that thing or my family's angry at me or they won't talk to me anymore because of my stance with Christ? What is going on? Lord, what are you doing in my life? He's pruning. He's cleansing. For what? That you might bear fruit. So what should I do? Trust God. Trust what God is doing. Let that work take place. One of the hardest things for men to do. I have a brother I shared some things with. Uh, he was at a, a, a place, you know, uh, what do you call it, crossroads in life. Should I do A? Should I do B? He talked to people, got counsel from me. I gave him counsel. Uh, I said B, he did A. <laughs> Whatever, you know, it's Okay. If you have been a father, you, you know that well. And then, so then, going down the route um, of A, the question has been, well, what's happening? I don't understand. I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand what's going on. God's pruning, brother. God's, God hasn't stopped working, has he? Look, if you're a brother, you're a disciple, you're... you're you're joined to the vine, then God is going to prune and work on you so that you might bear fruit. That's how it works. So be fruitful. Stay aware that I need to trust Christ for this. 
Yeah, is there things that we're going to say, well, that was really hard? Yeah, for sure, man. Unbelievably hard things. I got a phone call Saturday for another young man in his 20s who committed suicide. What do you what are you supposed to tell somebody? What do you say? Is there a gift you bring that makes all the pain go away? What do you do? What is there? There there is no hope but Christ. In this world, there is no hope but Christ. So we point people to Christ. And we tell them to trust that God's working and moving in their life. In the midst of the pain, for sure. We sorrow with those who sorrow. My favorite thing to do is be one of Job's friends in the first seven days. My favorite thing to do is to land in the middle of the living room and sit there and cry with everybody who's crying and don't say nothing. For the first seven days, Job's friends were amazing. When they get in trouble. As soon as they start talking. <laughs> Man. And I want to be faithful, right? I want to be a faithful steward of God. I want to, if I say something, I'm going to say it out of the Bible. Here's what God's word says. Hold fast to the Lord. Allow him to give you the comfort you need to, to come through this time. So he goes on in verse 7, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. It's the same as the psalm that we read this morning as, as Phil read the psalm for prayer. Yeah, did you catch what it said? When we, when we look at the things that Scripture talks about, look, the Lord says that he will put his word in your heart i am not a very good mystic i'm not very mystical uh i am practical so let me give you a practical simple thing to do love god with all your heart and do whatever you want love god what does the scripture say if you delight yourself in the law of the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. If you delight yourself in the Lord, he says, he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean he's going to give you a prize so you get a new motorcycle or a nice new Mercedes. What it means is he's going to put desires in your heart that are godly because your eyes are focused on him. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will impute he will put in you desires that are godly. You get what I'm saying? So if you love God with all your heart, which is a challenging thing anyways, right? But what does the Bible say? Romans 5.1 tells us that the love of God is poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit. So my ability to love God with all my heart is part of what God gives me in the gift of the Holy Spirit, which we're not going to get to this week, but maybe next week that we're going to look at in John chapter 15, but the idea that the Spirit is going to give me the strength that I need to love God with all my heart. And if I'm loving God with all my heart and I'm staying connected to that vine and I'm receiving the juice, the power from God to be the person God's asking me to be, 
then as I'm doing that, as I'm connected to the vine, he's pouring his love in me with which I can love him. I can trust the desires of my heart because I'm loving God. And just in case that's a little too subjective, he gives us the objective word of God that you can lay beside it. So I can look at my desire and go, is that in God's word? Is that good? Oh, God's word says that's good. Okay. I'm okay. Yeah, is it good to serve the Lord? For sure. Is it good to serve the Lord wherever you are? Amen. You got an opportunity to serve the Lord in the desert or in the jungle. Which one should you do? I'll make it easy. Yeah, I'll make it easy for you. Love God. Do the one you want. Oh, Lord, I really want to go to the jungle. Go to the jungle. You love God? I love God. You want to serve God? I want to serve God. Go to the jungle. I love God. I want to go to the desert. Go to the desert. Go be his disciples by staying connected to the vine, empowered by him, love God, and then follow what he's laid out before you. You've got two opportunities before you. We trip over it all the time. Oh, I don't know which one to do. Lord, which one is your will? I want to pray God's will. Lord, guide me according to your will. Does God want you to know his will? Yeah. Do you think he can't put a desire in your heart? Everybody I've ever talked about who's had two opportunities like that had a desire too. They just didn't want to say it. Well, I really want to. Go do that, brother. You think that we have this idea somewhere in our head, God's going to call us to something we hate. We get that idea. God's going to call us to something we hate. Maybe we look at the life of Paul and we say, well, Paul really wanted to go to his brethren. And God called him to the disciples. Let me tell you what Paul really wanted to do. Paul really wanted to teach. And so what did God have him do? Teach. And where did he teach? Everywhere he went, where did he start? Every town he went into, where did he start? Synagogue. And we stayed in the synagogue until they did what? They rejected the word that he gave. And then he said, I'm going to go to the hedge, the highways and the byways to whosoever will listen. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Wrote 13 books of the Bible, if you want to argue, 14. And did this incredible work. And, and we somehow think it was something that was not part of a desire God put in his heart. Oh man, come on. The Lord just said how he takes care of the branch. He cleanses it. The Father, he's going to cleanse that so that you can be what? Fruitful. So he's cleansing, he's washing the branch, he's taking away the things you need to get out of your life. God's going to cut those things away. He's going to take care of that branch so that fruit will come forth. You will have that desire. <clears throat> Trust the Lord. Trust what God's doing. Listen, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So he's talking to his disciples, right? They're all freaked out. He's like, this is how you're going to glorify the Lord. 
What is the chief purpose of man? To glorify God. Bring glory to the Father. Chief purpose of man. We want to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We're going to glorify him. So how is it that the Father is glorified? When we bear fruit. How do we bear fruit? We stay attached to the vine. How do we stay attached to the vine? We, have, we put our trust, our, our hope, our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. His disciples attached to the vine. Through the vine we receive the nourishment of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers the believer to bear fruit. The Father comes alongside and cleans and cleanses and wipes away the things from the branch so that the branch can be more fruitful. It's a beautiful picture that Jesus is laying out for us. Listen to what he says in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. What? Abide in my love. Sometimes, guys, when we are going through this, when, when these things are coming together, we start to think, God doesn't love me. God doesn't love me. Uh, this happened in my life. God doesn't love me. Uh, this happened in my life. God doesn't love me. Because if God loved me, only things that I approve would happen. Right? Is that how we think sometimes? But the reality is, look, as we look at it here, listen to what Jesus says. As from a, from a, a point of view that cannot be wrong, the Father loves me. The same way the Father loves me, I have loved you. And Jesus says, man, the Father has loved me. Where's Jesus going? And all the way through the cross, he's going to say, the Father loves me. All scripture is going to declare that God has already given us every great thing he could ever give us because he gave you his son. So when we come to scriptures <clears throat> where Jesus says, look, if you, if you have uh, my desires, you have my, my, this, this focus on uh, on him, uh, how if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. And the Father's going to declare through the word, you already got everything he has in heaven. Every, every good thing he has. What's every good thing he has? Jesus Christ, his son, whom he loved with an everlasting love. And so Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. The same way the Father loves me, he says, I have loved you. Abide in my love. While the Father's cleaning the branch, while the pruning's happening, while things are going on in our life, we have this tendency to say, God doesn't love me. And Jesus is saying, no, abide in my love. Stay here. It is, this is loving. If you've been a parent, you understand that because you've had to be loving to your children and they didn't like it. They said, this is not loving. They stomped their feet and they had their fit. This is not loving. You're not loving. This is not a loving thing. But it was a loving thing. It is a loving thing as God does this work in and through us. He says, look, abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What is it that Jesus is teaching us? What is it that he is asking? Dependency on the Lord dependency on his word, a desire to glorify the Father, and a desire to bear fruit. This is how you will be my disciple. And you'll understand this because you will have this desire to keep, to treasure, to obey 
my commandments. Jesus' commandments are not as lengthy as others. Jesus' commandments go like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets are summed up in these two, Jesus said. Keep my commandments. Abide in my love as I abide in the Father's love. Listen, we're going to close right here. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you, these things I'm telling you, I'm laying out for you, is so that you may understand my joy was, is, is in you, and your joy will be full. It will be full. In Nehemiah, Nehemiah 8.10 Uh, It says, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing uh, ready, for this is the day uh, that is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Stay connected to the vine. He's the vine. Trust process that God is working in your life is he your God and Savior you're the only one who can answer that question yay he is my great God and Savior my Lord Jesus Christ and trust him as he prunes your life hold fast abide in his love know that the things that are occurring in your life are God's love for you relish the joy of the Lord allow the joy of the Lord to be your strength And so be a good steward and overcome the circumstances that you find yourself in, in this wretched world, looking forward to the return of the great king. This is how we endure. When our heads are swimming and things are going crazy and we didn't think it was going to be like this, just like the disciples. That's why this word is still for us. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. I feel like I have many more things to say, but you are not yet able to bear them. (laughs) All good things must come to an end. One day we'll end on time, I promise. Father God, we come to you, Lord. We look to you, Father. We pray, Lord, that uh, as, we, as we come to your word, Lord, we, the, the goal is that your word, that I gaze into your word and that I see my face and I see the things, Lord, that you're challenging me with and that you're, that you're wanting to, to, that you are working and pruning and, and cleansing in my life that I might bear fruit. And as I look at it, Lord, the whole section that you're talking about is all things you've done. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. I'm the vine. You're the branches. You're connected to me. I'm going to make you fruitful. I'm going to be these things for you. So the, the challenge, the call to us is to abide in him and to abide in his love. God, I don't want to be a hateful child shaking my fist at my my father telling me no about something I want him to tell me yes about. Lord, I don't want to be rebellious against the things that you're doing and working in my life. I want to be 
obedient. I want to trust you and keep your word. I want to love you with all my heart. And I want to love my neighbor like I love myself. I want to be an expression of who you are wherever I go and whatever I do so that the Spirit of God might move uh, through me and in me by your word, accomplishing your perfect work. God, this is my desire. And your word says that if I delight myself in you, you give me the desires of my heart. You place them inside of me. When my desire is for poison, then I know that my eyes are not stayed on the Lord because I want something that God doesn't want me to have. So I come back and I say, Lord, I need to keep my eyes on you. Paul would write to us, he said, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but this one thing I do, I forget the things which lie behind and I lift my eyes and I look at the prize laid before me. I keep my eyes on Jesus keep my eyes on him i can get distracted by all the nonsense in our world every day but i don't ever want to take my eyes off of you i can know it lord because i i feel the desires in me shift from that which is of god to that which is of me so i lift my eyes again i take your word i open it i I dive into your word. I pray. I cry out, Lord, give me eyes to, to find wonderful things in your word, God. Allow your treasure to wash me and cleanse me and prune me that I might be fruitful, that I might bear fruit in my thought life and in my prayer life and in my working life and in all the different aspects of life as a parent, as a grandparent, as a friend. I want all of that, God, because you give all of that. So, Lord, I just pray that we really hear, really hear what the word is challenging us to do and to be. God has already given us everything we need when he gave us his son. All the other things, those are wants. They may be good or they may not be, but he's already given us everything we need his son he has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so God help us live like that may we know you may our fruit be seen Lord as the father tends as you supply as the spirit empowers God may our joy be full because our joy is set in you and the joy of the Lord is our strength So we will overcome the hatred of the world, not because we fight with weapons that are carnal, but we see the pulling down of strongholds accomplished by the power of God. Because we trust him, we stay attached to the vine, we're empowered and enriched by him. So we are ready. Lord Jesus, by your spirit, move through this place, drive out the nonsense and help us hold fast to the truth that you be glorified in the church of the last days as we keep our eyes lifted up until we see your face. In Jesus' name we pray.